on the machine is, thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your goodness to us. We'd ask that we would be made good before you. In your son's name, amen. It's natural that as you look at a passage and become aware of the context around it, even though you didn't preach on the passage around it, you find your mind meditating on certain things. Last week I preached in Matthew 5, the first 16 verses, and um, that obviously put the rest of the Sermon on the Mount into, um, into mind. And I had to stop and say, yeah, but the next part of the Sermon on the Mount is that awkward stuff. You know? Yeah, where everybody feels a little convicted. So pastors want to avoid that stuff because, well, what would the giving, what would happen to the giving? You've heard of giving, right? Just because we don't pass the plate does not mean... I said, well, Evan, what kind of pastor would you be if you couldn't, for embarrassment's sake, speak through the Lord Jesus Christ's key sermon in his life? I did the Beatitudes last week. Some of you might say, well, you got the wrong thing out of all of them. Faced up to it. Did so manfully. But I want to do the same thing with this next section, the rest of the chapter, chapter 5, Matthew, in that with last week, we sometimes miss the forest for the trees. Go through the Beatitudes, blessed are the so-and-so, for they shall be blah, blah, blah. And we, 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 we try to parse out the particular blessing to the particular group so that we can either make a claim it's a promise or we can make a claim it's a hope or whatever you're making a claim about. Rather than saying, you know, God seems to want you to be happy. Because that's what the word blessed means. Happy are those that. So hopefully we're going to look at this chapter 5 with all those icky moralizing comments and try to see the forest along with the trees. It starts with chapter 5, verse 17. This is right after what we covered last week. Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, large bug, I just read what I see. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the preface. He says, I don't want you to think of me as a disruptor, but I want to fulfill 
Matter of fact, these things are inviolate eternally until all is accomplished. And then it seems to fault those who relax and teach and praise those who do and teach. Right? Did you get that? For they shall be, and I noticed the word, they shall be called least in the kingdom, and they shall be called greatest in the kingdom. You know, why, why is it that important? Why is it important that he say called? Why didn't he say they shall be least and they shall be greatest? Jesus is, he's rough. I'm not going to tell you necessarily what he's meaning here, but I'm going to tell you that he doesn't always mean what we thought and felt we, we just got. We have people who think that he leans on this and says, you know, the law still applies. I'm here to fulfill. And you go, well, then the rest of the New Testament isn't true. Jesus Christ himself, I have over here on the side, Mark 7, 18. And he said to them, then are you without understanding also? Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and so passes on? Thus he declared all foods clean. He just relaxed part of the law and taught men so. All foods are clean. <coughs> Minor law. But the least of these... Whoever relaxes one of the least of these. So you go to one of the food laws. It says, don't eat bacon. And Jesus says, not important. Don't stress, all of that's clean. Jesus just became one who is called least in the kingdom. So you know you've got something going on here that's more than what we you who want to be pious, who want to be rigorous, who want to live a life pleasing to God, we uh, know that something is more is going on. And then, but we're, then we're just sideswiped by the ne next bit of teaching. Because the next bit, from verse 21 through um, 43, you'll see those in red. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. You have heard it also said. Again, you have heard that it was said. But I say to you, and in this section, he takes an aspect of Jewish culture or an aspect of Jewish law and goes, oh, you guys need to turn this one up to 11. And it seems that Jesus, on one hand, he's able to relax the law. On the other hand, he comes across as uber holy. Right? Never did anything wrong. That's one. He was tempted in every manner like as we yet without sin. And, uh, and then he's saying, oh, you said it's, we told you not to murder. I'm saying if you even uh, insult them. You've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. He just, okay. Speaking of being hauled out to the purgatory, at least. That's where men pay for their sins before they can come back. You shall not kill, replaced with, have you ever been angry, you murdering swine? Of course I hate people. I have a family. Of course I hate people. I'm, I'm a vigorous, masculine guy. I've got to hate them. Isn't hatred, you know, and, and guys walk around, I hope I don't insult any, because I like the graphics, you know, with the Punisher skull on their t-shirt, right? We like that. We're dudes. We were talking the other night about, uh, in, the, in the library, about uh, how guys don't mind if people fear them as possible uh, murderers, because it actually is a credit to us as dudes. I, well, I think you could actually kill some people. Well, thank you very much. We like that. We know that this section, and the next one's on adultery. Okay, so just prepare yourself. And uh, it's not, it's not, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like any of this. But, we, but we're in this trap called religion where we're trying to become pious, holy, We're not quite sure whose side Jesus is on. He's saying things like, yeah, I'm making comments about the relaxers, but they're kind of comments that I'm not sure aren't. Is it really as negative as I think it is? He says, it shall not pass away until it is fulfilled. I am fulfilling it. I didn't come to abolish, came to fulfill. There's a different relationship that hangs on words like accomplished. So when Jesus steps into these Jews, because they're a bunch of Jews, Sermon on the Mountain, there's no salvation, there's no atonement, there's no death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no pulling out of the Holy Spirit, these are just Jews listening to this teaching about their law, and he's turning it up with this hint that an accomplishment Something accomplished is going to bring it it's going to bring it to pass. Nothing's going to pass away until all is accomplished. So what I want you to look at this morning is what has to be accomplished in you, not now, I love to get into arguments. Come over sometime. Say something wrong. Okay? It's, it's, it's a great Wednesday night, great Friday night. Come over, say something wrong, and, and pretty soon I'll be hip deep in your life. Sophistry flying left and right. Illegitimate interpretations of the scripture. I'm capable of all of these things. I love it. It's more of a hobby than a profession. It's more of a, I like doing it because I love the process of that you might say multiple people thinking in a conversation. So I know that, that I can get into these arguments with 
anybody. Okay, what does he really mean about, you know, anger? Does he really mean that you're liable to judgment if you're angry with your brother, for heaven's sake? Not just, I, I, don't I have to, it used to be I had to murder them. I had to do a Cain and Abel situation. But now it says if I insult them, if I say, Raka, you fool, you should be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, there's more to this passage. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Make friends quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out till you've paid the last penny. Now, those of us who like arguments find that that is, is like a minefield. Okay, is this last part a metaphor? Is it a prison? I mean, what's, is it really talking about prison or is he talking about something spiritual? But what I said to you before is I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. Yeah, we could argue about this, but sometimes our arguments are more stressing some, you know, you know, parse out the sentence, figure out what it applies to, find up some other scripture passages to tie into it, so we can, in our book of church order, decide who's in trouble for being angry and who's not in trouble for being angry. What's he really getting at? I want you to be thinking about these, are, these rules are to be fulfilled, not obs made obsolete. He says, I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And they will not pass away until something is accomplished. And I want to ask you, is what God wants to accomplish in Jesus Christ, has it been accomplished in you regarding this? What is he trying to accomplish in you? Because he's not, he's saying, unless your righteousness succeeds, and I'm going to turn it up a little bit, now what do you do with it? Well, we'd like to argue, why do we argue over the parsing of what we really have to do? Because you really, and I've been in enough discussions with enough Christians, we really want to know where we don't have to do it. You talk about something, well, does that mean, what if, what if the, the communists took over? Okay, you can disobey Jesus when the communists take over. People want to know where they don't have to do it. Because they're happy with a rigorous, pious application of the command to go do the thing. Oh, you told me I can't murder anybody? Okay, I'm not murdering anybody. Okay, I'm not supposed to be angry? Other than with the pastor right now? We stress it out. We become law abiders. We like our piety. We like our piety to be written, understood, included in the church. I'm saying the book of church order because some churches have books of church order. We do not. But if you had one, you could put the rules of the, the official understanding that the council had decided was going to be the allowance of anger, the allowance of insult, and the allowance of calling people fools. If you had a wink, it was fools, not a problem. If you 
were joking and they understood it as a joke, you're not liable to hell of fire. We can come up with every kind of explication because we want law. We don't want something accomplished in us. And the only hope, you've got two relationships with laws. You either become a pious nut job or you become a relaxed libertine who says, really, there's no, no rules, I can do anything we want, yay. You relax into ungodliness or you become overwrought in your righteousness, pharisaical. Or there's something that can be accomplished in you. So what's going to be accomplished? What, what kind of person has in them what it takes to care? What is it caring about in verse 21 through 26? That which is accomplished in you and I made a comment here on the left-hand side, we're about the middle. Um, that there are people, when Christ turns up the volume, the accomplishment is either it is broadening the arena of the law, or it is deepening the arena of the law. We would like it broader, because we like broad things, because they can all be seen by men. This is temptation of righteousness. You get to be seen as righteous by men. Christ wants you holy, so he's going to go for deeper. So the accomplishment, it seems that you care, verses 21 through 26, more about peace than you care about the behavior of others. Because why are you angry? Why are you calling someone a fool? Why are you insulting someone? Because you care more about what they're doing than you care about peace. You say, I don't know if that's true. Join Facebook if you don't haven't already. Man, I mean, this political climate, what a who? It's better than TV. It's a lot of TV. It's on TV. We are consciously, constantly meddling in other people's lives. It matters to us that somebody, what's the old the adage? Honey, I found out somebody somewhere is wrong on the internet. So I gotta go argue in some long, in all caps, exclamation points. Never an apology, never making it right. What are the rules? I know churches who have come up with ethics of internet behavior as part of the Christian, new Christian ethos. We have to deal with this. I don't want to deal with that. Find the forest. Don't be looking for the trees. Find what Christ has to accomplish in you so that you know what you're shooting at. You're not shooting at, oh no, I said Raka, you fool again. Did I mean it? I'm not sure I meant it. Am I liable to hell of fire? How many of you asked that question? I think I might have come committed the unforgivable sin. What's the unforgivable sin? Why do you want to know what the unforgivable sin is? 
because you don't want to do it, right? You want to be sure of all the sins you allow yourself that that's not one of them. I don't think we have the right relationship to this. Let's think of the holiness of God drawing us deeper in this, that the accomplishment is turning you into someone who isn't relaxed and isn't rigorous, isn't forgetting about good, and isn't getting all wound up in an ungood goodness. Do you want peace more than you want to change the behavior of other people? Are you willing to make peace with the guy who has ought against you? You know, make, go make peace with him. What did it say? Be reconciled to your brother. Make friends quickly with your accuser. You care more about peace than you care about them granting your position, whatever that is. Granting your claim. On one hand, you're the accused. On the other hand, you're angry, insulting, and calling people fools because they're, in your mind, the accused. You're too much about the behavior of others. A few more about the peace of God. Your life within the behavior of others, your treatment of people regarding their behavior would be measured out differently. Have you ever said something? Watch the word. I'm a wordy guy, so this sin sort of happens too regularly. The words come out and you watch them. Too late. They're out of your mouth. And you said something. And when you read a lot of books, and I read a lot of books, and you like poetry, and I read a lot of poetry, some of those insults can just be wonders. They can be... I'm getting into trouble. I got a tab with Lisa Rozier. She's from Texas. Her favorite phrase for me is, I will cut you. I don't think that's the right conversational level between a Christian woman and a minister. I will cut you. Because I can't help myself. There she is, a Texas woman sitting in my library, and I say something unkind about Texas. No offense. And she threatens to cut me. I don't know how many cuts I'm waiting for now. Late some night. But it comes out of your mouth too quickly. And sometimes not in that good humor sort of way. Where her, I will cut you, is her, I mean, she's probably willing to cut you too. She's not, she's not looking out for me. But We know we do it. Do we care more about ourselves and that other people's behavior had better comport themselves, either their behavior has to comport themselves the way I want it, or they shouldn't care about my behavior and their objections to me. You care more. Is what accomplished in you is peace and the desire for peace, because that's what it seems to be. Your social relationships that you care for peace more than you care that everybody get right, get right. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now, just like on other moral questions, someone comes up to the pastor and says, well, you really think, you know, I mean, how many beers is drunk? How many, what, a, what do you, do you think it's okay? What if we could, do we, can we drink it all? Can we, I mean, if I notice a woman, I mean, she's walking, I mean, God made her. We have we all sorts of ways of analyzing this. Again, trying to find the trees that we got to cut down. And this gets a little bit into that. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Ah! When Jesus turns up the volume on things, we're talking about dismemberment here. Now you say, I think it's a metaphor. Okay, it's part of your analysis, how, how you read the trees. But what's he saying? What's he, I mean, what's he primarily, what's the forest here? What has to be accomplished? Because we know we'd all be eunuchs, right? All the dudes, anyway. Because we're, if we're going to be... The, Origen, I believe, uh, made himself a eunuch on the basis of this passage, I think. That he had to cut off that which made him sin, so he cut it off. Is that what kind of, is this some sort of Middle Eastern ancient lunacy on Jesus' part? What has to be accomplished in you for me to have a view that that, yes, that something has to be radically changed for me to have what is accomplished in me stand to that requirement about adultery. We're attacked from billboards to commercials to, to women at work more so than in other eras. I mean, they had adultery back then, otherwise you wouldn't be talking about it. We're attacked everywhere. So something has to be radically, the, the notion is some radical operation. What's my problem? Why would I, why would I make myself a eunuch? Well, so I wouldn't be led by my passions and my desires anymore, right? The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit, says in Galatians. What you have to radically do, what has to be accomplished in you, is that you can't be someone for whom passion and pleasure is your deciding agency. And Jesus, to illustrate it, has made it as dark as cutting off the end of your arm. I'd give my right arm to be ambidextrous. I'd... Well, we want to we want to think it could be that by that 
The cutting off your arm would be a broader commandment, not a deeper one. Cut off your arm, put out your eye. Well, why not both eyes? You saw her with both eyes. Well, this radicalness is deeper, an accomplishment that says, this is how radical it has to be. Are you the kind of person that views your relationship with women, your relationship with men, your attitude towards adultery, your attitude towards sexual sin, as something that, like the peace and the desire to change the behavior of others, are you willing to give up your arm? Your arm being your claim to running your life by your passions. People think that life is supposed to be, you know, seize the day, find your passion, right? Every t-shirt, you know, I was walking through Macy's and Lewiston the other day, and all the women in athletic gear, and they're all telling each other on their shirts how, you know, strong they are. Strong is beautiful. Oh, really? You're lying to yourselves. Strong is fine. Strong, you know what it is? Strong. Beautiful is beautiful. We want to have, we want to have this be our God. One, because pleasure is so much, what is it? Pleasure. So if I live my life by pleasure, I get pleasure. A lot. If everything works out, I got a good job, I can pay for other weekends and whatever else. Get a trophy wife, have a few affairs. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, let everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, makes her an adulteress. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Oh boy, this is, books are written about this. But we're not writing a book this morning. We're trying to find the forest these things are standing in. Are you the kind of person that in Christ, God has accomplished, you care more for his peace than you care for the behavior of others. You care more for living your life by his love than by your desire. Because the only reason that you are in trouble and you have to cut body parts off is because you can't stop desiring. Oh, no. No, you just think it's that important. You ever try. And he puts all these, these impossible things. Oh, do you know how many people can't get along with their spouse? Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about whether or not your divorce was legitimate. I'm not talking about whether you're allowed to get remarried. Those are questions you can ask only after you've found the forest the trees are in. you found the deeper accomplishment that God wants out of you. You try to convince someone who doesn't have grounds for divorce that they may not when they really, really want to. They're not going to be righteous. Then what are you going to do? You need to find the righteousness. You need to find that people are saying, you know, I'm actually living as if my private parts dictated my behavior. 
as if that did my, like I was a frat boy, no offense to any frat boys here, but you're awful people. And the rest of you too, so don't feel left out. Do you realize there could be other inertial forces than urge? And when I step aside from urge, suddenly I can look at the issue of divorce and all your urges that are demanding you throw this bastard to the curb. You don't have to anymore because you're concerned more about peace. What God has accomplished in you, something that God has accomplished, makes you not inertially passionate, makes you not care about their behavior so much. You've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. It's almost like these are all the questions that come up after two beers amongst Christians. Uh, when, when, when is it okay to kill somebody? When is it okay, you know, what's, what's adultery, what's lust, when can person get remarried? What's cussing? What's swearing? What's taking a vow? People have these things. They would like to approach them as if this was a set of rules that Jesus is expanding more broadly. We just have to figure out what he meant. And then we have to go do them. Here is one he's saying, don't even do it. What's being accomplished in you? What is someone doing when they're swearing? They're swearing on a stack of Bibles. That's what we do. On my mother's grave. What are you just admitting when you need a stack of Bibles in your mother's grave? My gosh, what kind of horrid human being are you that you would need for the sake of your reputation for them to give you a loan at the bank? You have to stand on a stack of Bibles on top of your mother's mausoleum to make them think, I'm really serious, I'm going to pay this back. No, trust me, because I wouldn't if you just said yes or no. What has to be accomplished in you is you have to be willing to wait until you're good instead of insisting on yourself before you're good. We're going to fake righteousness until we are accepted as being righteous. They tell you to do that early in life, get a credit card, run up the debts, pay them off, run up. Pay them up. So you get good credits. You can get credit cards later on. We operate that way morally. We want to insist because we do not have the state, we need a vow. We need an oath in which we jeopardize the holiness of the city of the great king. Some things that we can't even touch, we cannot make what? The color of our hair? White or black? And yet, by the hair of my head, by the hair of my ancestors, by the... I don't know what kind of things you swear on the basis of. We'd much rather have people believe us good 
And we sometimes take these paths to get to that belief rather than saying, you know, if I were good, I wouldn't need to insist on myself. My yes would be fine. You know some people like that. If they said yes, they would fulfill it. If they said no, they would say, it means what they say. This is the easiest one, one of these easy ones to do. Okay, I won't swear on anything, I'll just say yes or no. And we think we're being obedient. We haven't understood what we're doing. I could find some other place, an avenue in which I would insist on myself. You've heard it said, verse 38, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, and this, this is, I've been in more discussions about this one, I think, than anyone. And no, we're not going to discuss it. Do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. And we're going, I'm an American. I get to hit him. The right of self-defense. What if I were attacked by communists? Because it's always the communists. What if a really annoying feminist came up to me? Okay, it was a dude. A dude feminist. Saying awful things. And then shoved me. Can't I deck him? You're the wrong person to even be talking to. You even know, again, you don't even know what part of the map you're on. You want someone to define a rule that goes against everything you want to do. And I'm wondering, why do you want to do that? Why, why do you want to punch him in the face? Because I'm a dude. I said, but are you a Christian? I'm wondering if you're a Christian. Not whether you're, I know you're a dude. I know this is the Northwest. I know it's Idaho. We're all armed. Probably some of you are carrying this morning. Because it's Idaho. God bless you. Just in case the commies attacked, we could defend ourselves. I, you know, something, we stop and say, hold it, is he describing us? Or is he not describing us? We're more on the minds of, oh, it's in the Bible, it's a rule. I need a proof text to get me to do something. If I don't have, you've heard me say, that I don't think the Great Commission is for Christians in general. And I have Christians going, well, then why would we ever preach the gospel? I said, I don't know, maybe you love people. Oh, I spoke too soon. You need a rule to go tell someone about Jesus Christ. You're inhuman. Is this a description of you, all of this? I am aware, I step away from anger. I don't insult. I make things right. I understand the role of sexuality in my life and I operate not by my urge, but I operate by the, by the character of my God and reason. I uh, don't swear because, well, why would I need to? What am I puffing up? I'm puffing something up. I'm building something up that doesn't deserve it by swearing on something. What's here? What do, why would I hit someone back? And it's not just, I didn't hit him back. I, there's, this, there's this attack of non-resistance. You get that? It's not that I, okay, he's messing with me in the bar. I'm just going to turn away. 
No, he says, no, Jesus goes, no, 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 that's not what you get to do. You get to say, just a second, sir, let me turn. You get a better swing. This other one. Oh, let me have, let me, here, coat two. Extra mile. It's an aggressive attack of non-resistance. And you can't do it unless something is accomplished in you. Christ came to fulfill the law. The law was being laid down not to create righteousness. We know it didn't. It just increased the trespass. Everything that Jesus says here, just what it increases the trespass for us. He wants to accomplish something in us. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not in the Bible anywhere, by the way. It says love your neighbor, but it doesn't say hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do you not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He says, I would like this Christian ethic to describe the Christians. What is the nature of the forest you grow in? The nature is, we love across the board. Loving your enemies, it gets to the point here, he said, well, I was fine with loving your neighbor because I kind of live in a nice neighborhood. Kind of nice neighborhood. Uh, nice houses, professionals, college professors, uh, grooms, streets, grid pattern, people with nicer cars. Except when you guys come over. Nicer vehicles. There's Mercedes and Lexuses and not in our house, but it's a nicer place. You know, sometimes we go, okay, I, I don't get to pick my neighbor, but really my economic status or my my luck in finding a home or an apartment in a good place, a good apartment complex. I've got some good neighbors. What are we doing? We're saying I want to be just like the tax collector and Gentile. I want the tax collector and Gentile description to describe me. They love their nice neighbors. They love their brethren. You salute your brethren. You love those who love you. Okay, we have one neighbor who's a difficulty. Big difficulty. They're kind of neighbors that would sue you. They're kind of neighbors that would ruin your life. They're kind of neighbors who'd steal things from you. They become your enemies. And Jesus Christ describes you as the kind of person, not demands of you. He says, love your enemies, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Oh yeah, there's a... There's an imperative there. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying this is all in light of something that has to be accomplished in you because you're not doing this. You're not loving your enemies. You're not desiring this peace more than you changing other people's behavior. 
You're going to have a right relationship with men and women. You're going to have a right relationship with your stuff and your rights and what matters to you. You're not going to have to post your resume of how good you are to get people to believe you good. They will know you're good. You therefore, verse 48, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All of this, all of this is to get us there. Nothing nothing, nothing less. Christ is not relaxing the law by telling you, yeah, it's not what goes into a man that defiles man, relaxing the code. In one sense, he does. And then in another sense, because he deepens it, he makes it, says this does not get relaxed until this is accomplished. If you were, if you were to be brought alone, to be seen by men, and that's the next verse. I conclude verse 1 out of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them. If you think that arguing out how we're all going to value this law about adultery, or all going to evolve uh, this law about hitting somebody back, and we've got this agreement, okay, now we're, we know where we get points from the other Christians. I got my points today, I didn't hit him back. I did this and I didn't do that. Are you this kind of person? Do you need a law to keep you from doing what you would? Or have you been changed by the new covenant of Jesus Christ? So this is what you would do. You would love people who were your enemies. You would not want to strike someone back. You would want to do more greater good for them than they had even demanded. When it says of the new covenant, I have a verse over here on the side. Verse Hebrews 8.6 But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. If you were to describe a life where you who didn't want to do these things were commanded to do these things and my life with Christ was one long struggle of you being disobedient and getting forgiven or do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be this way where something is accomplished in you the new covenant is accomplished you love people and you don't love yourself so dang much. It says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.